All right, we're going to uh, spend uh, a moment studying God's Word. Uh, Before we get into our reading this morning, I wanted to share with you about one of the mysteries of, uh, of our early days as a married couple. Carly took a punt on me in our early 20s when we got married. And one of the beauties, one of the joys of being married when you're relatively young is that you get to discover a little bit more about your partner. You grow up together and you learn things you didn't previously know about this person. And one of the things that Carly discovered about me, much to her shock, much to her horror, much to her surprise, was that she couldn't understand the sort of TV that I watched. In fact, she couldn't for the life of her work at how she could, how I, how she could marry a person who watched that most insane of TV programs, that most pointless of TV programs, that most confusing of TV programs, that most annoying of TV programs, Parliament Question Time from the House of Representatives, live coming to you from Canberra. One or two hands go up. You see, I've always been a bit of a student of communication. Some of the politicians are, of course, they've got it down to a fine R. So I quite like seeing people who are gifted orators. I quite actually enjoy uh, watching someone who can get their point across clearly. It's a real skill. It's a real art form. I also like watching sport and politics, I think, has always been a bit of a blood sport, hasn't it? I enjoyed watching the, the back and forth and the cut and thrust of politics. But for Carly, it was crazy, insane. How could you watch it? They're not even really serious questions. And after a while, you realise question time in Parliament really are not genuine questions. It's either the opposition having a dig at the government or it's a government backbencher asking a Dorothy Dixer, basically just asking the minister to tell the nation what a great government they are. They're not real questions. They're not genuine questions. And this is the situation that we have here today in our reading. Jesus is being questioned. He's being probed. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to to come up with a way to just get him off the scene. And the religious establishment are lining up at this stage, one after the other, to try to trap Jesus with a question. But as we'll see, they're not real questions. They're not genuine questions at all. They're, They're loaded questions. So our Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 20. If you've got it with you, you might like to open it up. Uh, The Bibles are up the back there. If you haven't got a a physical Bible, we're happy to give you one, happy to bless you with a Bible this morning. But there are some Bibles at the back if you want to follow along. We're in Luke chapter 20. We're going to be reading from verses uh, 27 through to 47. So it's a longer reading, this one, with a few different elements. It can get a little bit confusing. There's a passage there at one point where Jesus is quoting David saying, my Lord said to my Lord in in English, it can get a little bit confusing. So if you want to have it open in front of you, I'd suggest that might be a good thing. But uh, Luke chapter 20, I remember uh, Luke has been journeying with us with Jesus back on his way down to, to Jerusalem for the final time and things are getting serious. We're reaching the pointy end of Jesus' ministry. And so they're lining up, trying to punt him, trying to get rid of him. Luke chapter 20 verses 27 to 47. Then came to him certain of the Sadducees, which deny that there is any resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If any man's brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, 
that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. I see we're going with old school translation this morning, guys. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second uh, took her to wife, and he died, died childless. And the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses shooed... shooed what does that word mean? <laughs> the bush, when he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any question at all. And he said unto them, How say they that Christ is David's son, and David himself saith in the book of Psalms, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And David therefore calleth him Lord. How, then is, how is he then his son? Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto the disciples, Beware of the scribes, which desire to walk in long robes and love greeting in the markets, and the highest seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts, which devour widows' houses, and for a show make a long prayer, the same shall receive greater damnation. So a lengthy passage there. If you've got a modern translation, it might make a little bit more sense. We're going to go through that uh, and explain what is going on here and encourage us all to make sure that we too are asking the right questions. Let's pray. Uh, loving Lord, we pray that you might capture our minds and capture our hearts in this moment. Amen. Well, friends, every once in a while you run into uh, a line of thinking in the church that says, well, you shouldn't question God. Whatever you don't question anything, don't question what the church says. Certainly don't question the, question the bloke up the front of the church because he's been to Bible college and you can't question him. Uh, I've got some pictures up in my office uh, that Pamela gave me. Good morning, Pamela and Ian watching from home. And it's of the original beautiful stone cathedral-looking original Waverley Methodist Mission, is that what it was called? And uh, a magnificent timber pulpit for me to preach from back in the day, six feet above reproach, six foot above anyone being able to question. It wasn't a terribly helpful way to view your minister, to view your pastor, because you, but you do still encounter this line of thinking. Don't question anything, just accept it. Just take it as read and, and just keep your head down and, and don't make a fuss, don't make, a, don't make any noise. These people are often are very well-meaning, it must be said, um, but I, I, I don't think that that is 
a helpful way of thinking. Because quite often we run into difficult situations in our life, painful situations in our life. And very well-meaning people will say, well, don't question God. We might be crying out to God. Why, Lord? We might have lost a loved one, perhaps. We want to know, why, Lord, did you, did you allow this to happen? And this unhelpful line of thinking comes back, well, well just, just don't question God at all. Just, just, just deal with it and, and, and move on. I don't think that's a healthy way of being. I don't think that's a helpful way of responding. Just as an aside, if pastorally speaking, if you are dealing with someone that's grieving, one of the most honest things you can say is simply, I don't know. I've used that myself several times, just sitting with people in their grief. And in particular, blokes, I'm looking at you, you don't need to solve everybody's problem. You don't need to solve everybody's problem, answer every single question. Sometimes you just need to be with the person. Sit with the person in their grief. And the most honest thing you can say sometimes is, why did this happen is, well, I don't know. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I, I don't know why God has allowed this to happen. But maybe if we can learn to trust him through it, then, then maybe our faith won't be shipwrecked as a result. Because that is so often what happens. When we push the questions down, they don't really go away. They just sort of fester and take on a, on a life of their own and, and bubble up in other ways that can end up actually shipwrecking our faith. So can I encourage you this morning to not think of your faith just as a blind faith. God said it, I believe it, end of story. Or indeed the other extreme of, well, I'm actually going to, to come uh, to my faith with my own set of preconceived ideas and make God fit into my box. I, I we seek a faith-seeking understanding. It's a really helpful phrase. It's been helpful to Christians down through the ages. Uh, you can write it down, faith-seeking understanding. We start from a viewpoint of faith and then we seek greater understanding. We don't come to God or come to the Scriptures with our own preconceived ideas of what we think is right and then try to shoehorn the Scriptures or try to make God fit our particular mould. The two extremes that I don't think are helpful. We seek a faith-seeking understanding. Uh, Anselm of Canterbury, one of the Archbishops of Canterbury, first coined the phrase that we seek a faith-seeking understanding. And even before him, Augustine, another bishop from North Africa, uh, used a phrase very, very similar. He said, we believe that we might understand. Believe that you might understand. For Augustine, our faith in God pushes us deeper into God. Those of us with a faith should desire to know more about our faith. We should want to know more about this God. We seek an informed faith, not a blind faith. We seek an informed faith. We seek to know why we believe what we do. Our faith will grow out of our questions. And so if you're not one of those people that's been blessed with huge amounts of faith, uh, then don't pretend to be something you're not. You don't need to pretend to be all meek and mild if you're wanting to rage at God. And let me tell you, friend, God's big enough to take your raging. Some people think, I, I can't really be honest with God because I'll hurt him. Friend, God isn't going to be hurt by you raging. 
God's not going to be worried. He's not going to curl up into the fetal position because you're shaking your fist at him. God is big enough to handle your anger and your questions and your sadness. Offer the real you to God. He wants to know the real you. Remember too, Jesus himself questioned God. Jesus himself on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As far as we know, he actually didn't get an answer before he died. So I think it's okay to ask your questions as long as you're asking with a genuine mindset. I think if we dare to ask our questions, our faith will be strengthened in the process. And there's no guarantee of getting all of the answers, but perhaps, just perhaps, we'll learn to live with, cre with creativity with the questions that we have. That's the situation here this morning in the reading today. Uh, the context is that uh, the, 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 the religious leaders have already have a, had a go at Jesus. If you read the passage beforehand, it's the famous section whereby Jesus is asked the question of, is it right to pay taxes? We're told that the leaders, the religious leaders, cynically uh, send in spies to pretend to be genuine, to try to trap Jesus with their famous question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus famously answers, well, pay, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God's. So when they couldn't stump him, it was the Sadducees go. They were a different religious group. They didn't believe in the resurrection because they were sad, you see. So they line up to try to trap Jesus. It's a good way of remembering all the different. The Pharisees actually the Pharisees get a bad rap in Scripture, the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are actually very faithful people. They believe in the resurrection. Sadducees, a different group of people, different religious power brokers, didn't believe in any resurrection. They thought, we'll get him. And so they lined up their very cynical question about the resurrection of the dead. So they concoct this cynical question. It's not a real question. About seven brothers who married this one poor woman. The Old Testament, the old religious law said that if a, if a man died without bearing any children to carry on the family line, then she had to marry his younger brother. I quite often ask Carly, how would you go marrying my brother if I die? Think about that, ladies. Fortunately, we don't need to do that anymore. All the ladies are breathing a relief. But that's why she's out of here. That's right. She's not here to defend herself. I'm sure you ladies, I, I always get dobbed on whenever I use Carly as a sermon illustration. But back in those days, if a bloke died without an heir, he would marry the younger brother and, and she would have his children, but who would carry on the dead brother's line. That was the line of thinking. And so they concoct this story where there's seven brothers and each of them dies and they put it to Jesus, this very cynical question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? We don't believe in the resurrection, but clearly you do, so we're making fun of your faith. So they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to mock Jesus. Now, Jesus answers them again wisely, very profoundly, by saying, you guys have got it all wrong. Uh, he, he, he says, it's not going to be like that in the resurrection. You're going to neither be married or... It's not going to be like that. One of my favourite verses of Scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived of what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It's actually quoting Isaiah. The next life, the, life, the resurrection life, 
is going to be so far beyond our ability to even imagine. It's going to be so awesome. We're going to be blown away simply by being in God's presence. It will be you, but our ability to comprehend it is so far beyond our earthly questions of, of being married and having kids. It's going to be completely beyond our ability to understand. So Jesus puts them in their place, and as he so often does, they get more than they bargained for. When you go to Jesus with your questions, when you go to God with your questions, you better be prepared to get some answers coming back at you. Rage all you like, but you better be prepared for the question to come back on you. And that is exactly what Jesus does here. He answers their question from the scriptures, and then he says, well, what about um, mighty King David? David, of course, is the Jewish hero, and he, and he, and he says, well, he says, David clearly believed in the, in the resurrection. It's an awkward little passage there where he quotes David saying, my Lord said to my Lord, come and sit at my right hand. These two words that are translated unhelpfully as Lord in the modern English are two different words. Yahweh, meaning God the Father, and, and the Christ, or the Saviour, or Adonai, meaning you know, the, the coming Christ. So it's actually David saying, God the Father said to the Messiah, um, he, that he's my Lord. So David was a thousand years beforehand and Christ the Messiah, and he acknowledges that he's going to be his Lord. And in a time when you revered your ancestors, how could you, it's all out of whack and in reverse. So you guys are making stuff up. They, he puts it back on them and saying, you don't even believe what you're asking. Uh, and, and, and your belief in, in the resurrection not being true is, is kind of silly as well because clearly your hero, King David, did believe in the resurrection. He then went on to give them a right serve, one of the strongest dressing downs in Scripture. He says they love to swan about the place. They love the best seats in all the markets. In modern Aussie terms, we would say Jesus is saying, all you guys are really up yourselves. They really had tickets on themselves. They loved all the important places. But in fact, they devoured widows' houses. He's calling them out as hypocrites. He's calling them out. He says, you're all for show. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. You don't really mean what you're saying. You don't say what you mean. So really what Jesus is doing here ultimately He's putting the question back on them in the same way that he did to his disciples in other places, he's, where he says, you know what? Will you follow me? Will you make me your Lord and your Saviour? This little play on the word Lord here with Jesus, that Jesus uses with King David, he's really putting the hard word back on them. He's really saying, yeah, okay, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He goes, yeah, what, what, will you follow me? In the resurrection of the dead, who's, will you acknowledge me as your Lord, as the Lord of your life? We see it all the time today as well. I encounter it all the time. Uh, people, when they discover that I'm a minister and they know that I've been through Bible college, there's a lot of people out there with more Bible knowledge than me. And they know a lot and they, they try to trick me up, but it becomes clear that their heart is actually very far from God. Even though they know the Bible, they know the scriptures very well, it's clear they don't actually really have a living, breathing faith. They actually haven't yielded their life, actually haven't surrendered their life over to Jesus. 
So I think it's the same question that he puts to us still today. So as we approach the communion table, can I put the same question to you today? It's okay to come to God with your questions. Jesus never ran away from questions. But your questions have to be genuine. The questions have to come from a place of honesty, of genuinely wanting to know more about God. So questions today like, oh, well, what about the seven literal days of creation? Surely you don't believe it. We can talk about that, but will you follow Jesus? Well, what about the gifts of prophecy and tongues? But what about all the abuses? We can talk about that, but you know what? Will you follow Jesus? Well, what about sex outside of marriage, Pete? Surely you can't expect... We can talk about that, and God gives us some guidelines for that. But you know what? Will you follow Jesus? Well, what about this? And what? Will you follow Jesus? This is what he wants to know. This is our core question that we're to be putting to people today. This is what he wants to know from you. If you're simply using questions as a smokescreen, as a way of avoiding going deeper with God, then he's going to be asking you some pretty pointed questions at the resurrection, and he might not like the answer. If you're still standing off at a distance, arguing and debating in the, in the, in the abstract, when it comes time for you to see what's going to happen in the resurrection, it might be a very difficult conversation. You may find yourself in a spot where he says to you, away from me, I, I never really knew you. It was all up here, so many questions, but you never really yielded your life to me. Well, yeah. Can I encourage you, though, this morning to say yes to Jesus? Ask all the questions you want. Come and ask me. I'm not offended. I'm pretty hard to offend. But can I encourage you to make sure that you're asking your questions out of a genuine place of a desire to know more of God, to have more of God in your life? Can I encourage you to make sure that they're coming from a place where you are keen to follow Jesus that little bit more closely, coming from a place where you are keen to make Jesus the Lord of every part of your life. Amen? I did think it was a little bit inappropriate to not have a question time, brother, this morning, seeing as I'm talking on questions. Have you got a quick question? Yeah? Go for it. Yeah, okay, so for those of you who couldn't hear that at home, Don is asking if uh, the, the character of Shea Guevara, who's very popular with many people today, you'll see his, his image on T-shirts. You know the guy with the beret? He's a hero to, to many people these days. And Don is asking if he is, if he is in heaven. The answer to that, again, is I, honestly, honestly, I don't know. It's between him and God. Well, I, I can honestly tell you that I have no idea of Che Guevara's eternal destiny. I don't know about your eternal destiny. I don't know. About, I, whenever I take a funeral, what, what 
I don't presume anyone's eternal destiny. If it's a member of my church family who I know, I then have a little bit more license and I do speak boldly about them being at home with their, with their Lord and Saviour. But if the person clearly did not live out their faith and they, and they come to the church for a funeral, if you listen very carefully, I'm very careful about the words that I use. I never presume to know somebody else's eternal destiny. It's between them and God. Yeah, okay, so karma isn't a Christian concept, it's an Eastern concept. In terms of consequences for our actions, I think our actions do have consequences. I think when we make bad decisions, oftentimes bad things will follow. But let's also be honest, sometimes bad people get away with, with crime, don't they? They get away with it in this. We, we believe in a God who will one day set things right. So in terms of the karma question, a follower of Jesus would describe it as we believe in a God of justice who will one day put things to right. And I'm looking forward to that day when the evil are called to give an account for their actions. But let's not forget also, I'm a recipient of God's grace. I'm the cause of some of the suffering in this world. So I'm very glad that I don't get what I deserve, that I get abundant, eternal resurrection life, even though I didn't deserve it because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Amen? Any other questions this morning? Absolutely. I might invite our band to come up and we're going to um, sing again as we approach the communion table, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might help us to be real with you and with each other. Help us to be honest and raw. There are times, Father, when we just don't understand how you are moving. There are times when we feel frustrated and confused. We acknowledge, Father, however, that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That if we do indeed, indeed surrender our life to you, yield our life to you, that one day things will indeed make sense. Give us the strength and the courage to continue in the meantime, living with uncertainty, living with ambiguity, living with the messiness of church, living with the messiness of life this side of eternity, living with the messiness of this fallen and broken world. Help us to be real, Lord. Help us to be asking our questions, but help us to be coming from a position of faith-seeking understanding. Greater, grant us greater understanding this day, we pray.